0: Okay, I can already feel myself getting sweaty. All right. So a quick synopsis of God's creation week. Uh, and you can see that it's all going to be the first page. We're going to. So I'm just going to run through it real quickly. So we have day one, which is between Genesis one, verse three and five. We see that God allows light to enter into the wrecked universe and divides it from the darkness, making day and night. Right. We have on day two. Uh, at Genesis one verse six through eight, we have God creating a firmament uh, in the midst of the waters, dividing them below and above, uh, and uh, of the of the firmament, and He calls that firmament heaven. So now, if you can just. Use your imagination with me real quick. Imagine, because this is what the universe was like. The whole universe was submerged in water and there was darkness, right? There was no light. The first day, God makes light. He separates it. But still, the universe is submerged in water. So what he does is he makes this thing called a firmament, which we call space. The whole space that we see, where all the stars and everything, he makes that on day two. And he calls it a firmament. And way, 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 way below the firmament, He has water and way, 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 way above the firmament, there's water. So there's water. There's the firmament, which we call space. And then there's water below. Now, we don't see that with our telescope because it's way, way, way out there, but it's there. And the Bible will tell you that. And one day we'll see it for sure. So now on day three, Genesis one, verse nine through 13, we see that God congregates those waters into a singular place. From he actually, it's interesting. He takes it from the waters below. I don't know why, but he takes it from the waters from below the firmament. He congregates them into one place, and he lets dry land appear. He calls the congregation of the waters seas, and he calls the dry land earth. Uh, on the same day, he has the earth bring forth grass. He has the earth bring forth herbs that yield sea, which is pretty pretty cool. So, like herbs, like uh, I mean, what would be like an herb that you could think of? Uh, that's like, that, that's a seed yeah, like, like a, it's a its own, broccoli. It's, broccoli. I guess so, I don't know, been, yeah, an broccoli. herb that's its own seed, basically, yeah. like, I don't know what an example of that would be, maybe like an onion, I don't know, like an herb that would grow that, it itself is the seed, it goes in the ground, and then he also has the earth bring forth trees that have fruit, and the fruit is the seed of the tree, so that all happens on day three, notice, on day three, he makes the vegetation, but it's not till day four that he makes lights in the firmament. What was lighting those, what was keeping those plants alive? It was the light from day one, which is an amazing thing. So he makes, in day four, he makes the lesser, the greater light to rule the day, the sun, right? And he makes the lesser light to rule the night, the moon. And I, write, I wrote this in your, in your pamphlet on purpose. And he made the stars also because that's what the Bible says. What an amazing thing he says here's the sun here's the moon and he made the stars also you know how many stars are out there in the universe each like i think for every single person as, as far as the observable universe that we can see with today's telescopes every single person on the planet can have like billions of stars to their name that's how many stars there are in the in the universe i mean like if you look at some of the the telescopes out there you see these bright bright lights Those lights that you're seeing in the telescope aren't stars. They're galaxies filled with billions of stars in them. That's an amazing thing that it was almost an afterthought. I just wanted to point that out because I thought it's an amazing thing that God, he made the stars also. So that's day four. Notice now, day five, Genesis 1, verse 20 through 23. God has the waters that he has on the earth bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly after their kind. So on day five is the first day we see life appear. Please note that it comes from water. That's an important thing. All these days and these things, they're all pictures of other things, and I'll I'll, I'll touch on that later on, but just make note that on day five, that's when life showed up, right? And it came from the water. On day six, God has the earth The physical, like, earth, bring forth cattle, creeping things, so that's, like, your bugs and stuff like that, and beasts of the earth after their kind. So that's a a phrase you're going to see in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, after their kind. And that means, like, like for instance, like like a dog, like after their kind. Like, there's all these different types of dogs, but really they all come from dog, right? That's their kind. And that's, like, how God... uh, it's not like God does, what is it, kingdom, phylum, all, the, all those things from science class. Like, God has his own way of, of, the, of, of labeling what he has created. So that's on day six. Now, that's not the only thing he does on day six. On day six, he also makes us, which is an important thing. I didn't write that there because that's, we're going to start down on the next page. But he makes man, and we're going to zoom in a little bit on the creation of man because it's very important. But on day seven, which is in Genesis two, it's really interesting that all Genesis one is the first six days. But he waits till Genesis two to start talking about the seventh day. So Genesis two, verse one through three, we see that God rests from all his work on the seventh day. Now, does God need to rest? No. God doesn't get tired. The Bible says that later on in the book. Uh, He has no need for sleep. I think it says like the God of Israel uh, neither sl- slumbers nor sleeps. Something like that in the book of Psalms. But he did it as a picture. All these days of creation correlate to our history as mankind. So now, I don't have this written down for you in your pamphlet, but I want you to just follow along with me. The Bible talks about, uh, in the book of Second Peter, I believe, a day with the Lord, a singular day, is as a thousand years to us. So, like a thousand years in our history is like a day to God. It's like it's because that, that's just that's just the equivalent, right? So, when God sets up these seven days of creation, they're all to picture the seven thousand years of man's history dealing with God. So, you have your first four thousand years of man's history, and then you have right on the fifth day, Jesus Christ showing up. Right on. It would be 4,000 B.C., 3,000 B.C., 2,000 B.C. We're at zero, right? 1,000 B.C., zero. When Jesus Christ shows up, that's the beginning of the fifth day. What happened on the fifth day of creation? Life shows up, right? Right? That's the first time life shows up. And when Jesus Christ came into the world physically on man's fifth day, our 5,000th year, the beginning of that fifth day, life showed up. Now man could have life again because we were dead. We're going to get into that a little bit. It also pictures that seventh day, that day of rest, pictures the thousand year reign that Jesus Christ will have on the earth with his saints, where it will be a millennial rest. There will be no more devil for a thousand years. He's going to be bound up and Jesus Christ's kingdom will be established on the earth for a thousand years. That's all what's pictured in those seven days of Genesis. Now, like I said, I didn't really want to focus on any of that with you guys. I just wanted to not um, shortchange you on that. I wanted you to know about that stuff. But what the real thing we're going to focus on is on our next page. So if you want to just flip the page, it's going to be front and back. So it might be the back of the first page. We're going to go front and back, front and back. Okay. Tell me. Are we at Genesis 1, verse 26? Yeah. Okay, good. So now this is, we're going to zoom in a little bit here. Enough of me talking, let's read the Bible. We're going to zoom in a little bit here on man's creation. So now watch this. And God said, in verse 26, let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in what? His own image. Watch that. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, one thing I didn't add into your um, into your notes. Every day that God created something, He always ended the day saying, when He looked at it, He said, and it was good. It was good. It was good. But it wasn't until day six... When God creates man, the coup de grace, the one that he had purposed to have dominion. Man was supposed to rule over the earth, to have dominion over all these animals that God had established and to inherit this kingdom that God was building. He, uh, when he made man, on the end of day six, he said it was very good. Very good. Wasn't that an amazing thing that God looks at us and he's like... That's very good. He loves us that much. He said, it was, you know, it was good that I made light. It was good that I was able to make space. It was good I was able to make the earth. But when I made man, it was very good. When he looked at everything that he had made, which is, it warms my heart, I don't know. God loves us that much. Now, notice though, there's two things that God does. He makes man in his image and in his likeness. Those are two different things because they're two different words. Image has to do with spiritual. It has to do with the spiritual, um, what's a good word? Uh, The spiritual likeness, I should say. The word likeness has to do with the physical likeness. So he made man in his image, meaning man had no sin at this time. There was no sin. Man was holy. Adam, before he had sinned, was just like Jesus Christ, probably, um, no sin and perfect being. He was the, the the specimen, right? He was the first man, the first perfect man. Um, but he made it in God's image. Now, God is a triune being, right? We've heard of the um, I'm, I'm losing the Trinity, right? <laughs> I lost my word. <laughs> he, we've heard of the Trinity before, right? If you look, I think it's the next verse, First John five seven. That's a really good verse um, to note. I, is that the next verse that's listed? Okay. 1 John 5, 7 is a really good verse to see the Trinity in its application. So, 1 John... I have to get my Bible in my hand. I'm holding my water bottle like it's my Bible. 1 John 5, 7. The Bible says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father... The Word, which is the pre-incarnate name for Jesus Christ. That's another name for Jesus Christ, the Word. And the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So, if God is a three-part being, you are a three-part being. Because he made you after his image and after his likeness, right? So now we're going to see that. So, uh, if you turn, I think the next verse is Genesis 2. I should just have one of these on my hand. It makes it so much easier. I made it easier for you, but I'm making it harder for me. All right. Yeah. Genesis two, Genesis two, verse seven through nine. We're going to see, I I didn't really want to, I wanted to make sure you guys understood this too. So when you're reading your Bible, like you'll read Genesis one and you'll see that it says that God created man in that chapter. And then in Genesis two, it talks about God creating man again. It's not like it's. Not in chronological order, it's almost like God in the second chapter is like just zooming in a little bit and giving you like a closer look of what he meant when he made man. So just so you're following when you're reading your Bible. So in Genesis 2, verse uh, 7, we see, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's your three parts of you right there, right? You have your body made from the dust of the ground. Right. From dust to dust, this body, this outer shell of uh, that we can interact with the physical world around us, he says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's what's called your spirit. Right. The spirit of God is what gives us life, uh, the Bible says. And um, that's that's what is mentioned there, the breath of life. And we see this last part. And man became a living soul. A soul is you. On the inside it's the real you looking out. So now, like my best analogy for this is like a basketball. You have your outer layer that you can see, touch, right? That's like your body, right? You have your inner layer, which looks exactly like the outer layer, but you can't see it. That's your soul. It's the real you looking out. One day, this body is going to go on the ground, and your soul is going to go on to live in one of two places, in either heaven or hell. Your spirit is almost like that air that fills the basketball, right? When you have a ball, and it's bouncing, it has life in it, but when the air is out, you call the ball dead, right? The ball drops, it's dead. There's no air. That's that spirit that's within you, and that spirit is what gives you life, and uh, so, just like God, a triune being, he makes us in his image, we also are a triune being. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, uh, let's keep reading. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And verse 9, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Please keep note of that. That he makes every tree in the garden that grows. It's good for sight, uh, right? It's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of of good and evil. Now, so you have this garden of Eden that God sets up, right? It's the garden of Eden because Eden was this land grant that had existed and it was a garden that he placed eastward in Eden. So Eden was a place and he put the garden there. And he puts the man there and he causes all these trees to grow out of the garden so man can see that God's a creator because man was there. He saw him and he makes all these trees to grow that are pleasant to the sight and are good for food. But in the midst of the garden, he also puts a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the next verse that I have mentioned, I just wanted to show you as a cross reference is in the first Thessalonians five twenty three. I just want to show you that I'm not making it up. You really do have a body, soul and spirit. Paul refers to it when he's talking to the Thessalonian church. And as he's ending this letter, he says to them, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want you to understand that I'm not making that up There's a cross reference for you. Just so you know. We we have a body a soul and spirit. So now, Genesis 2, we're we're just moving right along. Verse 15, I told you there's a lot of reading today. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. This is the first commandment and the only commandment Adam was given. Saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day, what is that? In that day, right? In the day, that day that you do that, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I I highlighted those words for a reason. You may freely eat and you may, if you eat it of that tree, you're going to surely die, right? That's what we call the goodness and severity of God. God is very good. God is very merciful. But at the same time, God is very severe. He takes sin very, very seriously. He has no tolerance policy for sin. God has no tolerance for sin. So now, uh, let's keep reading. Uh, And the Lord God said, notice now, he says the commandment to Adam. And then in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. He says, God's so kind. He says, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. I'm going to make you a wife. I'm going to make a woman for you because you need some help. Amen. We need help. I need help. My wife helps me a lot. Thank God for her. But notice Eve was not there physically when God gave Adam the commandment. Correct? She didn't exist yet. Let's keep reading. Let's take it up in verse 21. So Genesis 2:21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, I'm told that's his spare rib, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she saw, he saw her and he was like, whoa, man, whoo. Where did you come from? You've been here often because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Watch it now. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I just really find it funny when God writes a Bible, when God writes the Bible. It's the beginning, right? We're reading Genesis. And how do we start in our life? We start naked and putting stuff in our mouth that we probably shouldn't have. And what does God do? He starts the Bible talking about some naked people putting stuff in their mouth like they shouldn't. I just thought that was pretty funny. right? Like God knows, God's got us pegged down to a science, man. He just knows us so well because he made us. Mm. Now, you ask, how could they be naked and not ashamed? Well, they were made in God's image, right? Here's a lesson for you your spiritual image will dictate your physical likeness. I'm going to repeat that again. Your spiritual image, the image of which you bear spiritually, right? Because they were holy in God's image, right? They had no sin, will dictate your physical likeness, what you physically appear as. Notice now Psalm 104, verse 1 to 2. So you don't get this just by reading the first couple chapters. You really got to Study your Bible out, read it, take in the whole counsel, and you start putting the pieces together and you can see some of these amazing truths. So the Bible says in Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty who coverest thyself with light as with a garment who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. God, the Bible says, covers himself with light like a garment. You know what happened in, in in the Garden of Eden before sin? Adam and Eve walking around were just like God. They were made in his image, in his own likeness. They shone. They had glory coming out of them. And they were covered with like these robes of light. This this tap like so that's why they could be naked and not be ashamed, because really they were covered by this glory, by their righteousness, because they had no sin. Now, I wish that the Bible. Stop right there in Genesis 2. Because Genesis 2 is a pretty good picture. But Genesis 3, man. Jesus. Genesis 3 has to come along. Because the serpent has to come in. Now, you might say, why? why? Why did God... We're going to read Genesis 3 next. But why did God allow the devil into paradise? It's a simple question. He had to give man free will. Man had to be able to choose God. God doesn't want autonomous robots that love Him just because He programmed them. He wants a people to love Him for who He is, right? Wouldn't you want your kids to love you because you love them and because you've done all this stuff for them and you want them to love you for you, not just because you programmed them like a robot? So God had to allow the devil into the garden. To give man a choice, you either go to obey me and follow me or you're not. So that we pick it up with Genesis three. We're going to read verse one. We're going to slow down here a little bit because I really want to zoom in on these verses. The devil doesn't want you to know these things. The devil does not want you to know these things. Now watch it now. The first introduction of, of, of the devil, Genesis three, verse one. Now the serpent, that's his name, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. What an introduction. God says, listen guys, the serpent, he's subtle. He's subtle. He comes in real low. He ain't coming with a, with a pitchfork and horns. He's coming with a nice suit. He's coming with a big smile. And he's going to come right up your way. And what does he say? And he said, he said unto the woman, yay. The first word out of his mouth, positive. Positive. He comes at you with positive things. Listen, if I could tell you one thing when you read your Bible, it might not make you feel better right away. It's a really negative book. I'd say probably like three quarters of the book is negative. It's against you because we need to be reproved because we, need, because we have sin in us. But God does that for our better. But the devil comes in nice and smooth. He comes in with a positive attitude. He says, yay, hat God said. That's always going to be his first line of attack. This is a precedent here. When you see something first in the Bible, God is setting a precedent. And the first precedent for the devil's attack, questioning what God said. Always, 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 always. He will always question, did did God really say that? And that's why you see a hundred different Bibles on the market because nobody knows what God really said. Except unless you have your King James Bible because God said it and it only said it one way, right? That was our first lesson. That God's word, he preserved it so that we can know him, right? And the devil comes in, his first line of attack. Did God really say this? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What, What bugs me a little bit is this. How did he know what question to ask? He knew the right question to ask Eve to push her buttons. We're going to keep reading. and I'll get back to that. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, and neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Question class, did God say that? Or is Eve a little off? If you notice, she's missing two words, right? And she adds something. She's missing freely eat, because that's God's goodness. God didn't have to do that. She's missing out on that. So that shows... Maybe she's not, she's despising the goodness of God. And she also left out the word surely die, which also shows she probably didn't consider the severity of God that big a deal either. Or she just didn't know what God said. I have no idea. There's no real recording of what happened. But listen, Eve wasn't there when God gave the commandment. So there's only two things that could have happened. Either Adam failed to teach Eve the word of God. That's a possibility. Or... Eve just didn't take it to heart as she should have. I don't know. What's interesting to me, though, is that she's hanging around this tree. And the devil knew the right question to ask to poke her buttons to start talking about this tree. And she's alone. That's an amazing thing. The devil will come at you. He'll start questioning you when no one else is around, when no one's, you know, you know, I, you should, that, that's how the devil works. He tries to get you to operate When you're alone, he tries to meet you one on one. So now let's keep reading. Uh, So the devil sees an opportunity here in verse four. He sees that Eve clearly does not know what God said. So the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. That is the first blatant lie in your Bible straight from the devil's mouth himself. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Technically, he wasn't lying there, because that's kind of what happens. That that tree in the midst of the garden, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, don't eat that tree, because God doesn't want you to know about evil. God wants us to be wise concerning things that are good and simple concerning evil. He never wanted man to have knowledge of evil, but it was that... Knowledge apart from God, which tempted Eve. It was that desire to to be as gods which drew her. She was like, huh, interesting, right? And when the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, please remember, every tree of that garden was already good for food and pleasant to the eyes. We just read it in the last chapter. But here's the difference and a tree to be desired to make one wise. That was what got her this, this idea of like, maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there's something out there that God, you know, he's, he's, he's hiding something from me. And the devil took prey upon that. Uh, So she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Now watch it now. And the eyes of them both were opened. I mean, the devil wasn't lying, but watch it. And they knew that they were naked. What happened? What happened? Something happened right there. When they took of that fruit, something changed. Didn't God say, the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die? Right? He said that. Was God lying? No. Something changed in Adam and Eve when they took part of that fruit. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What changed? Well, what died? Their body didn't die. They're still physically standing there. Their soul didn't die because they're standing there still. Well, that just leaves one part left, right? We're a triune being. We're made of body, soul, and spirit. That moment, when they took of that fruit, spirit was dead. That's what died that day. The spirit that that gave them life. And from that point on, the image of God was lost. They no longer had God's image. Because God was righteous, holy. That image, gone. Now, they had their own image. The sinful, fallen image. And that's why when when they look at each other, they're like, we're naked. Because now, that light that was covering them, that righteousness, all that glory, gone. And they can see themselves for what they were. And what they do, immediately. Always the first... Sorry about that. (laughs) The first... um, the very first, uh, what's the word? The very first response of man when they sin, let's cover it up. Let's sow fig leaves together. I don't know why it was fig leaves. I haven't, I haven't figured that part out yet. There's something in there. I just don't know it. I, I, I promise you there's something to figs because the fig tree is a big thing in the Bible. I have no idea why, but they start sewing these fig leaves together and to made themselves aprons to try to cover themselves That ain't going to cut it, though. We're going to see that in a little bit. That's not going to cut it. So now, watch what happens. Right as soon as they do this, who comes rolling up? Verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Man, if they had just waited, maybe. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was, like, studying all this out. What if Eve, instead of, you know, taking the fruit, what if she just said, you know What? I'm going to... God a lot for me. He's been pretty good to me. I'm just going to wait for him and see what he says about this. Let me... Or I'm going to wait for my husband. See, the devil tries to, like, take opportunity, like, now. Come on, now. Come on, now. Come on, now. Let's do it now. Because he knows that sooner or later, like, the authority's going to show up, right? And if Eve had just resisted the devil a little bit longer, maybe we wouldn't have been in this mess. Now, notice when Eve took of the fruit, she was deceived, Right? But Adam took of that fruit willingly. He knew full well the repercussions because God told him directly the commandment and he took of that fruit anyway. That's why in reality, it falls on Adam because Adam knew better. And that's why Adam is that's why it's it was man that had to uh, to fix the problem because man was the one that was given the commandment. So now. So here comes God walking in the the garden in the cool of day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Please notice that sin immediately brings shame and it brings fear. It makes them run from God, not go to God. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Can I tell you something? God knew where Adam was. You know, God knew where Eve was. God knows everything. God's everywhere. But he's, he's saying that for Adam's sake. He's calling unto him. Isn't that amazing that God takes the first step in reconciling the situation? He goes, Adam, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? That's an amazing thing that God takes the first step. Not man. God's the one that reached out to man first. said, where are you, Adam? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was Naked. And I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? Now, I didn't want to keep going with these verses because, I, honestly, I, I could read all of Genesis 3 with you because it's a beautiful picture. But from this point, from I think verse uh, 12, um, where are we? Yeah, from verse 12 to 19, if you want to read it on your own time in the Bible. You have the blame game right you have God says didn't I tell you not to do this and Adam goes well the woman that you gave me she gave it to me and, and I ate thereof and the woman goes well the serpent beguiled me so I ate thereof and then the serpent looked around and there's no one else to blame so he was like ah oh, crap <laughs> so the serpent was the one that uh, so they each got blamed right and they each had consequences for their sin and you see that in verse 12 through 19 so like for instance like the serpent was then forced to be on his belly and to eat dust the rest of his life. The woman was supposed to have um, la- uh, their labor and conception was going to be painful from that point on. And they were going to have to be a servant to their husband. And the husband, the, the man was supposed to till the ground for the rest of his life. I mean, he, Adam hadn't had to till the ground beforehand. The garden was it was perfect. There was no sin. He was just able to. Take fruit off the tree and eat it as much as he wanted. But now, because of sin, God says you're going to toil in that dirt from whence you came until the day you die and you go back to that dirt. And that's the consequences for sin. It's never just an immediate consequence. There's always consequences for sin. And that's in the lessons that we learn here. Now, there's a precedent that God sets here, though, at the end of the chapter. Because right they make those fig leaf aprons to try to cover themselves up. Let's look it up in Genesis 3. We're going to go in verse 21. God says, that's not going to be enough for me, guys. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. If you want to turn to the next page. Now, you know what that means? An innocent animal had to die to cover their nakedness. We read later in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, if you want to see, is the next verse. It should be the next verse over. right? Proverbs right? 27, 26. The lambs are for thy clothing. So you know what we see? So you don't get that all right there in Genesis, in Genesis 3. You have to read the whole Bible to see. It was a lamb that was killed in the Garden of Eden to make coats of skins to cover man's nakedness. You know what that picture is? That fig leaf apron pictures man's own works. And God said, listen, your own works of your hands to try to cover yourself ain't going to cut it. Something innocent has to die in your place to cover you. That's the only way you're going to be covered. That's how God approves it. We're going to see the lesson. We're going to see the application of that in a little bit. So now. We go later in the book of Genesis to Genesis chapter 5. Next lesson, I think we'll spend some time in Genesis 4, but I just want you to see this. So in the book of throughout the Bible, you'll see these different uh, times where there's like um, genealogies listed, basically. Uh, kind of boring reading, I'll be honest with you. It's like, this one begat this one, this one begat this one, this one begat this one. I mean, if you really want to have a snore fest, go to the book of First, Chron- uh, first Chronicles, read the first 10 chapters. It's all names. You'll fall asleep. But it, there's some important stuff in there. Genesis chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, In the likeness of God made he him, right? Man was first made in God's image, in God's likeness, correct? Right? Male and female created he them, and he blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son, what is it? In his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. Listen. This is a very important thing. Notice that. Adam is starting to reproduce with, with his wife Eve. But the son that they bear is no longer in God's image. Because that image is gone. Spiritually, they are wrecked. They are they are now have a sin nature. Adam's reproducing in his own image. This fallen image. And because of that, we look like what we do now. We are, we are in Adam's likeness. This flesh is because of Adam. We have inherited, because of our birth, our first birth, we have inherited Adam's image. We are sinners by nature, by birth. And we have also inherited his likeness. We look like him. right? So now... Notice that last three words that I had highlighted there. And he died. If you were to go to your Bible and go through the rest of Genesis chapter 5, you'll read stuff like this. You'll read this one, uh, like Seth, you know, he lived so long. He had a son uh, at this age. You know, it's like it's almost like following the same pattern. He lived to be this long. He begat sons and daughters and he died. And you see that over and over and over and over. And he died and he died and he died and he died and he died. Please notice that all that takes place in Genesis chapter 5. 5 in the Bible represents death. 5, you'll follow that number throughout the Bible. There's numbers that have meaning in the Bible. 5 generally pictures death. So you have Adam bearing kids in his own likeness. And he died and he died and he died and he died and he died. I just wanted to make it... Evidently clear that all of Adam's descendants die. I'm sorry I'm saying that so much, but it's very important. Okay, so now, Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, right, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Hey, that's us, right? We all die. And it ain't because of old age, it's because of sin. Sin is really what kills us. So now, what is God to do? You have Adam reproducing a race that's going to die. They're covered in sin. There's a separation now. God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin, lest they were able to take of the fruit of the tree of life because he didn't want them to live forever. And he says, what am I going to do? I mean, God already had the plan figured out before he made man. But I'm just I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perusing here. So what does God do? He sends the image of God back to men. What do I mean by that? The image of God is Jesus Christ. OK, I'm going to show you a verse for that. It's 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Follow with me, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I also listed there other mentions for you because I just physically couldn't fit it on the paper. But if you want to look those up, those are two other mentions talking about Jesus Christ being the image of God. If you wanted to see who God was, you would just look at Jesus Christ. Like, you want to see his holiness, his righteousness? Like, that was the express image of his person. If you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at God straight in the face. So, what does he do? He has to send the image of God back to man. But this time, he sends him in the likeness of men. Because it was man that messed up, right? Man messed up. Adam messed up. It had to be a man that fixed the problem. So now, we'll read this in Galatians 4. Galatians 4. We're almost there. We're we're rounding the corner. Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, watch it now, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. You see, the virgin birth served a couple purposes. One, it was a sign for Israel. It was a sign that Their Messiah was coming. A virgin was going to conceive. That's a pretty miraculous thing, right? A virgin conceiving without having intercourse. That's an amazing thing. But even more so, it was God's way of circumventing what Adam had messed up. You see, Adam's seed, right? His seed was corrupted. So when he bore a son, because the seed was corrupted, that son was in his image and in his likeness. God was born of a virgin. He wasn't born. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He wasn't born through Adam's seed. It was God's seed, meaning He was in the likeness of flesh. Right? God. It says in the book of uh, Second, I think Second Timothy three. God was manifest in the flesh, but it wasn't the same flesh that we have because it wasn't corrupted by sin. He didn't. God. Jesus Christ did not come from Adam's loins physically, like the seed. Because he came from God, but he was born of a virgin. I just want you to see that that's an important thing. Like, the Virgin Mary, like, her being a virgin is such an important aspect because that proves that he was born without sin, is what I'm saying. Because if you were born from a man, like I was born from my father, like you were born from yours, we've inherited sin from our fathers through the seed. That's where the sins pass. But because he was born of a virgin, no sin. So he had a clean slate from the start, Jesus Christ. Um, Now I'm not trying to minimize what he did. So now look at the next verse. Romans 8 verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh because we we could never fulfill the law in our own flesh because of sin. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You see... Jesus Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he didn't have any sin on him. He had no sin. He came like us. He became a man like us. Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. I know that doesn't make any sense because of math, but I'm telling you, it wasn't 50-50. He was 100% man and he was 100% God, which makes me amazed because you know what that means? He had not one uh, fleck of sin on him his entire life. 33 and a half years walking in the streets of, of, of Israel. No sin, not an evil thought, never a bad moment. Wow. Talk about faithfulness. The Bible says if you, uh, even having a lack of faith is considered sin. That means that Jesus Christ's faith the entire time was steadfast. Yeah. God, Jesus Christ, he's perfect. Nobody. That's the bar that God set up. That's the bar. He did what Adam could not do. Read it with me now. in Philippians chapter 2. We're on the last page. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Right? And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wow. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ goes right there. Because the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men might be the sons of God. Wow! What an amazing thing. Now, I want to just zoom in a little bit on that. That phrase, right? The death of the cross. You know, I have it listed here. There's in each one of the Gospels, it mentions this. And I have them all listed just for your own reference. But I want to read Mark 15, verse 24. When Jesus Christ was being led to be crucified, it says in verse 24, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments Casting lots upon them what every man should take and if you were to follow the other mentions I have listed there You see the same thing mentioned in the other three Gospels You know what that means? Jesus Christ was naked on that stick. He was naked on that cross. Why? Because he was in the place of us What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What were they? They were naked. They were ashamed and Jesus Christ took our place on the cross and he bore the shame. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he, was, he despised the shame. He thought less of it because of the joy that was set before him. Because he saw in the future, if I can go through this, I will be able to bring many sons unto glory. I'll be able to redeem mankind. So he thought less of the shame. But I just want you to see the the picture that he was naked on that cross. There wasn't a loincloth. They draw that for modesty. He was naked on that cross for six hours in our place. Just like Adam was naked because of sin. But Jesus Christ had no sin. You see the dichotomy, the juxtaposition of this beautiful picture that God creates. So now, follow with me now. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to have that image back because we lost that image. How do we get that image back? The Bible says right there in John, in the first chapter of John, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse twelve. But as many as received him, that's it, man. That's as simple as it is. Receiving him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to have a second birth. Your first birth into Adam led you right into sin. We all, we're all here because of our first birth, right? Our first birth, we're born in Adam's image and in his likeness. God says, you know what you have to do? You have to receive my son so I can give you a second birth. So you can be what the Bible calls in the book of John, born again. Born again is not a denomination. It's just a Bible term for what physically happens to us. When you receive Jesus Christ, when you receive the atonement of what he did on that cross in your place, the Bible says right there, To as many as Him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. God gives you the power to become a son of God again. You are no longer in the category of Adam. Follow with me now in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 15, that next verse. 15 verse 21 to 22 for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead it had to be a man that did it because man's the one that messed up for as in adam right we read that in the, in genesis 5 and he died and he died and he died and he died in adam all died even so in christ shall all be made alive you know what you got to do you got to get out of Adam, and you have to get into Christ. That's what God wants from you. So you say, well, how do I do that? Believe. We read it right there. It's just believing on his name. Ask, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel that we talked about last time. The simple and free gift of God's salvation offered to man by faith. All you got to do is receive it by faith. He says, I did the work for you. I was able to live sinlessly. I fulfilled the law. I was on the cross. I took your place. And now all you have to do, just receive me. Receive what I have done for you. And you say, is that simple? It's that simple. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. Period. There's no more common. There's no like hidden thing. This is what's called the gift of God. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. It's freely given. That's grace. That's God's unmerited favor towards us. One amazing thing. Now, watch it now. I want you to pay attention now. So now. If you have done that, I have no idea your hearts. I can't see inside your heart. Only God knows your heart. One day, you will stand before God, mano a mano, eyeball to eyeball, and he'll know if you've received his son. That's all he requires. Like I said, the fig leaf apron ain't going to cut it. It had to be a lamb that was slain to cover you. And even more than that, the lamb that was slain on Calvary doesn't just cover your sin. The Bible says in the book of John, he takes them away. He takes away the sin. He cleanses you from all of your sin in His blood once, for all, forever. Wow. Praise God. What an amazing thing. If you have received that, if you have asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, that's something you have to do with Him on your own time, whenever you want. We can be here afterwards to talk to you. What that means, if you've done that, then God has given you His image back. Inside of you, that spirit that was dead, right? Because when Adam sinned, that spirit died. The Bible says, and you, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And you had to be quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened means made alive. He says, when you receive Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit of God, the spirit that dwelt inside Jesus Christ, comes inside of you and he quickens, he makes alive, just like When Adam, right when he breathed into his breath, into his nostrils, the breath of life, that same breath of life comes right back, and that Holy Spirit comes inside you and quickens your dead spirit, and you are now a new creature in God's eyes. In God's eyes, you're a son just like Jesus Christ. When He sees you, He sees the image of God. He sees right through you. He sees Jesus Christ spiritually. Now, we said it before: image. The image, I'm sorry, we're, we're wrapping it up here. The image dictates the likeness, right? The spiritual dictates the physical. Well, because we have that fallen image. But one day, if you have this, the image of God back inside of you, you're going to bear his likeness too, right? The Bible says, we're ending it here. In 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called... The sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, watch it now. Now, right now, are we the sons of God. Listen, if you've accepted Jesus Christ right now, you are a son of God. Nothing's going to change physically to you, but everything's going to change spiritually for the rest of eternity. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, he comes in, he seals you, and he changes you forever and ever and ever. And And he makes you a son. So now, now are you the sons of God, but, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he, meaning Jesus Christ, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I didn't um, include these last mentions because I I was trying to consolidate the paper for you guys because I didn't want it to be too long. But I do want to go to that last portion of scripture right there in 2nd Corinthians. You can look it up on your own time. But I I just wanted to read this to you. Because it's an amazing thing. What I'm trying to say is. One day. If you've accepted Jesus Christ. You have his image. One day you will bear his likeness. You will look just like Jesus Christ. What an amazing promise. You're going to have a body. That doesn't have pain. No more soreness. You're never going to be tired. You're going to be able to <laughs> travel at the speed of light. Like, all these amazing promises. You'll never die. You'll never have pain. There'll be no more sorrow. All these are promises laid out in the Bible. And you'll have this what the Bible calls this new body. Right? And I, you can look these up on your own time. Those last, um, like Philippians uh, 3, verse 20 to the 21, talks about uh, him transforming our vile body like unto his glorious body but I wanted to read you this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, that's this body right here, were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, this body, when he's talking about this tabernacle, he's referring to our body of clay, this body of flesh that we live in right now. For in this, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not for that we would be unclothed but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life listen what i'm saying is this if you've accepted Jesus Christ, you are promised a brand new body that's going to be able to go on forever and ever and ever, just like Him. You'll bear His likeness, but you need His image first. Okay? All right. <laughs> we'll start. We'll end with a word of prayer, and then we'll be able to talk if you guys have any questions. Lord, we thank You for this time, this space. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for just doing what we could not. Lord, thank You for coming down, Lord, condescending to men, Lord. and. Lord, just uh, fulfilling the law, Lord, just, um, Lord, giving us all these promises, Lord, a hope of eternity, Lord, by simple faith in you, Lord. And we just pray for these people now, Lord, they might just uh, be able to receive this. Lord, I pray they might strengthen them as they go in their day. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.